0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Jeff Weigel. We
1: have on the program today Tracy Ann Moore Grant. She's an attorney slash mediator in Cummings, Georgia. She is partners in the firm Patterson Moore Butler. We've had Tracy on the program, though, a few months ago, because Tracy is so committed to amicable divorces that this genius of a person started the Amicable Divorce Network. It. The hub is Georgia, obviously. This is where she lives and works. And now she's spreading throughout each state in the country to develop a list of professional resources for all of you in any state that you're listening to us in. If you want to have an amicable divorce, obviously you do or you wouldn't be listening to this program. (laughs) She is providing a list of professionals from attorneys to mediators, therapists, more. Mortgage lenders, I mean, you name it, anybody you would need in your divorce to make it amicable. That's Tracy's goal. That's why we had her on the program last year. So, Tracy, welcome again with a brand new topic. Okay. Absolutely. So, Tracy introduced this topic to me recently, and I said, absolutely, we have to talk about it. And she wants, we're going to talk about legal professionals who are actually getting murdered, family law, legal professionals who are getting murdered or hurt by their clients, who are apparently not having an amicable time getting divorced. Tracy, why are you motivated to talk about this now?
0: Well, I've been practicing for 20 years now in family law. This will be my, my 21st year And I, as you stated, I'm in Cumming, Georgia. This is a suburb north of Atlanta. We are not in a huge metropolis. It's it's a nice-sized city. Um, But in my 20 years and in my legal community, the surrounding area, I would say the North Georgia area, I have known four family law professionals who have been murdered. And um, most recently, we lost a colleague um, one county over in Gwinnett County in December of 2022 to murder. And um, these professionals are being murdered by generally the opposing party in a family law matter. And this has obviously shaken our legal community again. Um, you know, to the core for this to happen. And I just really was reflecting on what can be done about this other than having attorneys obviously (laughs) arm themselves, um, you know, because one was, you know, that I recall was shot on the street, um, you know, walking. And so, um, you know, what can be done? I was really trying to come up with just some proactive tips and things that that perhaps could open up a conversation about this topic and and promote safety.
1: Okay, proactive tips to who? The legal professional or to the users of the legal profession, our clients? Both. Okay.
0: Um, Yes. So um, for each tip, I would say it corresponds to both the client going through the divorce and um, the legal professional. So it's twofold in a way. Um, I've discussed this with some of my clients and they are always very surprised to hear that somebody would go murder the other person's attorney. They're all, they're very surprised to hear this. And I think it not being talked about is um, not a good thing. I think we do need to talk about it. And we do need to make people aware that this is a job with a death rate and has a risk associated with it. And really open up that communication to decrease the violence against family law professionals.
1: Let's look at the family law professionals first. What can we all do to protect ourselves? I'll give you, I'll I'll tell you what I do. I keep my door locked. Nobody walks in my door in the office. You must knock and it's by appointment only. So that's the one thing I do. There's other things, but you go ahead.
0: What do you do? What do you suggest? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great tip. Um, I see more and more as a mediator when I go to other people's offices that, you know, they have a ring doorbell that, you know, they... Um, see who it is before they're letting you in the door. And obviously these are absolutely great security measures um, to have just in this day and age, probably in general, right? Um, But that's definitely good. Um, So what I'm trying to focus on, I'm not a security expert. I've definitely seen our colleagues talking about, you know, ring doorbell and locks on the doors um, and things of that nature. Um, and all of that is excellent. Um, I wanted to come up with a list of things um, sort of that the attorney should be de- doing proactively in a case. And also this corresponds to the client. So whoever's listening to this, the tips are are the same. So um, the first one um, is if you are the client, to give your chosen professional a full history of your case. That includes past instances of domestic violence mental health of both parties, all these types of things. Now, as you mentioned, I am so passionate about uncontested and amicable divorces. Um, I represent clients outside of the court system. I'm passionate that even the most complicated cases can be resolved without litigation and that does mean complicated emotions. And so a lot of times when clients come to me, they're very hesitant They don't want to air their dirty laundry. We're not getting into a mudslinging contest, and that isn't the process that they want. And they don't share this information with me. Um, But I want to urge um, clients out there that are listening and family law professionals that are listening to either divulge that difficult information or ask for it. So if you are an attorney doing a consult, you should be asking. Is there any history of domestic violence, you know, mental health issues or anything that, you know, would cause you any past or future concern for your safety? Um, And that way you're getting a full history to make informed decisions, advise your client and your staff. So that's the first tip. Don't be afraid to share the dirty laundry. It doesn't mean it's going to be aired in the court system.
1: I agree. In fact, um, we, I think we all have intake forms or some kind of process like that. On my intake form, I have history of domestic violence. I That's ask great. for that. Now, do they always answer uh, accurately? Yeah. Not always, but as it comes up, I stop and I just mm-hmm. say, tell me everything. I'm not set up to deal with domestic violence. I may have to take myself off this case.
0: Yes. And that's that's great. Um, so if you don't have it on your intake form, add it, um, make sure that you're, you're asking. And if, you know, once you've been doing family law for a while, you can kind of tell if a client is hesitant, um, and doesn't want to share. And a lot of times, if you are dealing with people who want a divorce quickly, efficiently, they're using the term uncontested, they're using the term amicable, they're using the terms out of court, they don't want to get into that stuff, right? They're they're not. They're just there for a resolution. But you need to be saying, "Please tell me, so I can fully advise you on your case." And if you're the client, give a full history. Um, this really helps your chosen professionals um, understand all of the dynamics of the family, not just to help you and advise you properly and fully, but also you do need to understand that they are potentially in danger and some of these risk factors they would definitely want to know about and making decisions about um who are they going to let this person in past the ring doorbell you know at five o'clock on a Friday when it's starting to get dark outside you know things like that you know they they should have also all of the information to make judgment calls on their end
1: okay and then on the intake form, tell me if this is legal or not. And I don't know if this goes state by state, but maybe not. Are we allowed to ask if there is a history of mental health challenges, anything like that? or Sure. Yeah, I mean,
0: as an attorney, I can certainly ask that. If I'm dealing with... Um, a divorce case, that might be a reason as to what led to the dissolution of the marriage, Mm. especially if we're dealing with minor children. You want to know, you know, what is the fitness of each parent? What are their challenges? What are their stressors? You want a full picture of that information. Um, The other party might not know, um, you know, they may not know the full extent of things, but if they've been married for a certain duration of time, they may say, you know what, my spouse was very depressed and got very withdrawn during a job loss or when we started to have stress in our marriage, they behaved in this manner. Um, This is how they behave under stress. Nobody usually in the entire world knows this person better than the spouse. You know, they're the ones who actually see um, under the hood during times of stress and during times of trouble. So they are really the only person who can raise the red flag, not just to protect themselves, um, which is absolutely a a primary focus, but to protect themselves, the minor children, the professionals, the public. Um, Because a stressful situation like a divorce does not make people behave better. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) right?
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I had had a call yesterday, Tracy, I'm sorry. I had a call yesterday from a woman, and this is fairly typical. She lesbian divorce, and um, so her. So when I said, "There's two hers," that that's the only reason why I identified it like this. She said, um, "I need to, I, I need to serve my uh, wife immediately." I said, "Well, what is immediately? Like tomorrow morning?" Okay, this was three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> right and i don't know that there's any state that you can immediately um within an hour file a divorce create the paperwork and serve somebody i think that's a little too much but in the conversation i started putting logistics together and time frames and and all of this and she, and i said but why are we on such a mad rush and she said well she's going under the grid as of uh, tomorrow or the next day. And I said, what do you mean she's going under the grid? I don't understand this. Well, she's going to go silent and I'm not going to know where she is. Now they own a home together. So the mortgage goes on, the property taxes go on, right. the upkeep of the home goes on. We have a significant piece of community property happening hmm. here. But what does this under the grid mean? And it took gentle conversation before I asked the question, A, is she going to be able to support herself? How is she going to earn a living and pay her bills and eat food? You know, just the basics of life, get a hotel room wherever she's going. Mm -hmm. I don't really know. I said, well, is there wealth? Is there a lot of money from which to draw? Not really, we're just Mm -hmm. paying our bills and getting by. And then I asked the real question is there a history of depression? And -hmm. she said, yes. And that just opened up the con. I said, well, can we well imagine where she might be going? Mm -hmm. Has she worked in a while? No. Okay. So I'm kind of thinking that rehabilitation, you know, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing um, for her to do that. But I had to really get through half an hour of conversation. So to your point, People want to have amicable, but they don't really know how to position it with their legal professionals, thinking probably if I divulge everything, it's not going to be amicable. Do you think
0: that's the way it is? I think people think that. And that's a misconception that I just want to sort of squash. Um, With our amicable divorce network, we actually deal with the same issues you would deal with in a contested litigation. Parties have addiction issues, parties have high asset worth, Um, parties have um, mental health issues, um, personality disorders. It is exactly the same as a contested litigation. What is actually amicable in the amicable divorce network is the professionals. That's the only people that we can vet for being amicable. The clients all have the same struggles. It is still a divorce. It is still the same issues. What we do in the Amicable Divorce Network is streamline the process, identify the issues and take a holistic and resolution focused approach. And sometimes that is recommending some therapy, counseling, family therapy, psychological evaluation, business valuation. You know, we call in the right experts for the problem, the right tool to get you over the finish line. But we don't know what tools your family needs without full disclosure. And it doesn't mean that your case is going to enter the court system. We actually have all of the same resources, um, all of the same professionals, you know, better professionals, you know, resolution focused professionals who are vetted for fair billing practices. So you have the same problems and it doesn't mean you need the court system to resolve them, but you do need to let your professionals know a full picture to help you, to help minor children, to help the other party get through the process because divorce is stressful for everybody. It is a major life change. Um, And that goes to my my second point. Okay, wait, before you go to your second point, you were
1: brilliant. No, you said something brilliant that I just wanted to focus on. Don't forget your second point. What you said was something I had never thought about in 10 and a half years of doing mediation for divorce. And that is, everybody has all the, 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 the same issues. They share many of the same issues. In the amicable process, it's the professionals who are committed to amicable, who when you honestly, accurately, fully portray what's going on in your life, can do what they can do to make the whole energy process going forward amicable. Right. You, that's how your legal professionals can help you after you share everything with them. Yes. That was great, Tracy. That was yeah. really great. Thank you for saying that.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the point to understand is our professionals are vetted for being resolution focused. They are not the professionals that are running into the court system to file ugly motions, have unnecessary court hearings. Our whole process is being child-focused, being holistic, getting parties divorced well. Tell us what's broken so that we can help you fix it well and get you on with your life in the healthiest manner possible. And so people still continue to have the same issues in the divorce, but you're using top-notch resolution-focused professionals to hone in on what needs to be fixed and get you moving forward with your future. But do make a full disclosure of mm-hmm. what those issues are so your professional isn't at a disadvantage.
1: And don't lie about mental health challenges that that you just want to label on your spouse. Because right. we uh, can that Well, figure we won't get out. into
0: that. There's, some, there's a lot it. of buzzwords out there. Um, okay, but go ahead. You know, a, a jerk's a jerk's a jerk. You know, we know how to deal with that. We know to, how to help people deal with that, to deal with difficult personalities and, and things of that nature. That's the reason we only have family law professionals with experience in the network, yes. um, because they have the experience. They've cut their teeth already. They are there because they're passionate that it's a good way to help families. Um, the second point, I uh, just briefly, is um. Most of these um, murders, assaults happen with guns. And so um, do disclose to your chosen family law professional, anybody involved in your case, if you or your spouse has access to guns, um, just let them be aware of that. Obviously in most states, somebody can go out and just get a gun rather quickly. So that, well, that may yeah. change in real time, Yeah, but- If somebody has a history of um, owning guns, lots of guns, things of that nature, go ahead and disclose that. It's a marital asset anyway, so it should be on your list. Um, And then that way your um, chosen professional knows about that as well. They should be putting it on your financial affidavit as an asset anyway. So there's no harm, no foul in letting them know um, about that. That just is an increased risk factor there. So Tracy, so
1: guns should be put on the asset and debt forms. You're sure
0: it's, you know, we, um, yeah, it has a value. Sometimes they're pretty expensive. Sometimes, and so, yeah. yeah. And, you know, depending on the state, um, you may need to register them, transfer them, things of that nature. In my cases, I definitely want to articulate in case there's any issue in the future, um, who owned the gun, who's getting the gun and identify it as best we can. Um, Sometimes we've had to do, you know, registration transfers and things of that nature. Um, I think Georgia's sort of not, not into telling people where the guns are anymore, you know, but it used to be a little more formal than that. And some states are definitely um, really buttoned up on, on that, which is, which is good to know where the guns are, especially when you have a, a stressing situation, like a divorce. Absolutely. To point number three. (laughs) Number three is very simple. Um, provide your, uh, family law attorney, generally the attorney's office or whoever's helping you primarily with the divorce, a photo of your spouse. Um, this can be very easily emailed. They can put it in the file. Um, something that's on your phone, something from Facebook, something that shows them so that if there is a stressful event that occurs, an emergency situation, staff, the attorney can pull up a picture of that person and know in real time what they look like. They're not scrambling around um, to get a visual identification of the person. Um, so that should just be also maybe part of your intake procedure, a photo of your client, a photo of the spouse. Maybe it's one of them together. Kill two birds with one stone. Don't mean to make a pun out of that um but keep it in your file so that you can really easily identify both parties in the case
1: before you go to point number 4 if there's a point number 4 something that I wanted to bring up child abduction yes it's a really big issue i just had a situation the other day where i was supposed to have an appointment with somebody who had already moved his child several counties away without saying anything to the mm-hmm. to mom who had the other child we had parental alienation going on he called me saying i want to mediate i want it to be amicable but she doesn't want to be okay well that's fine she's going to hire an attorney hopefully she hires an attorney that will calm her down but mm-hmm. well, what about taking your child out of the county talk to me about that and so
0: here Oh, oh ahead.
1: You're, you're talking the, to them about it. <laughs> well, yeah, and but, but I want you to comment. And and so I said, you, first of all, you need a legal profession. You actually need to talk to an attorney to see that what you have done meets and satisfies child abduction. I don't know this. Even if I did, I'm not an attorney. I'm not allowed to talk to you about this. But I certainly know you need legal advice on this one. People do tend to move their children around when a divorce is about to be filed thinking they'll establish custody on their own or something like that. Please comment on all of this, how we can deal with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, just a a really bad move. Um, And I'm only an attorney in Georgia and I can only speak to that. And even in Georgia, um, we have county by county different standing orders are what they're called And so generally speaking, it says you can't remove the child from the jurisdiction of the court, which is believed to be the state of Georgia, without the permission of the other party. It gets it gets really complicated when somebody lives and works in Chattanooga and lives right over the line in Georgia. Um, Or even the child goes to a private school, you know, or something over the line. Um, Or we have people who play games and say, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, from where I'm at, uh, the coast is, you know, six hours away. But they'll say, well, we're on vacation. We're still in Georgia, but we're six hours away. It's a pretty big state. California is even bigger. Um, So if nobody has filed in the court system in Georgia, people are free to move wherever they would like. They could move from Georgia to California. They're just people moving places, um, you know, with or without children. Um, Generally, the courts don't like that. If you are in a contested situation and you're in front of the court, they don't view that favorably in my experience. They think people are playing games. Playing games with minor children is not received very well. Um, In the amicable system, if people do initiate an amicable divorce, they do sign agreements That are not court orders, but the court, I'm told, would not view it very favorably if somebody signs an agreement saying you're not going to change the child's school or daycare. You're not going to remove the child from the state without the other party's knowledge. Um, And then they do it anyway. So we do try to sign agreements to maintain the status quo in an amicable case um, because we do think those things are important. I mean, you really have to look at it and the court looks at it from the vantage point of the child, Obviously, when people get a divorce, they're, somebody's moving. They're not continuing to maintain this joint household. But if somebody's playing games, um, trying to get an advantage by, you know, taking a small child and changing their school and their way of life, I mean, they're not going to win in the long run. That just is not a good way to be viewed as a, as a parent, a co-parent. It's just not good for kids. So um, it's it happens all the time. I think people have a huge misconception that it will give them some sort of advantage. And time and time again, I think it just backfires.
1: Is there a certain profile of somebody who would take their child to an undisclosed location, even if they're not going to hurt them, but just out of fear of the filing of divorce, how custody is going to be ruled on? Uh, Because not everybody will do that.
0: No, and most people don't. I mean, I've been doing this 20 years and we used to have a rule that was only in the county that I am in. And that rule was that if you had the child when the divorce was filed, you maintained essentially sole custody until the court ordered otherwise. Mm
1: -hmm. So it
0: used to be people played more games With those types of rules, because somebody would say, okay, well, we're going to file this divorce and have it served on Tuesday at 9 a.m. And I'm going to go get the child from school and keep the child so that during this process, I'm deemed to have sole custody because when this magical service event happens, I have the child. So I get to keep the child. People were playing games and the court got wise to that and changed that rule. They didn't have so-called default. Like somebody has the child by default. So the child's deemed to be the child of both parties until the court makes a determination, which is a better way to approach it. But there really isn't any sort of uniform rule which gives rise to people playing games. Um, and, you know, really, I don't know of a certain profile of a person that that does that, but I think it is um, generally rooted in fear Um, Like you're talking about, they're fearful of what's going to happen. So they're trying to control the consequences, number one, or they are a a domestic violence abuser who's trying to control the situation and coming at it from a different motivation other than fear. It's coming from a control type of factor. Um, And so I think it's just good to be cautious of both, really. Okay, so
1: something you just said right now that triggered my thinking, because I kept thinking about this most recent call that I got where the second half of this, by the way, was eventually he did say where the child was. I guess the mother was justifiably freaked out uh, that the child didn't return home from preschool because he was taken from preschool and, and moved to another county. And the police came and got him out of the house, a family home in the new county yeah. and brought him back to mom. So there was domestic violence in that family mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Yeah. So maybe it doesn't happen every day. But right. to your point, if there's a history of domestic violence that has to be shared even if it was 3 or 4 years ago. Yes. It has to be. Yes. Yeah, because it can happen again, again to your point of of earlier when you're under this tremendous stress of divorce, which is completely life-changing and there are children involved. You're prone to do anything out of fear. Uh, maybe you don't want to wish you hadn't after it happened. But, you know, the amygdala stops working, you know, our frontal lobe stops working and logic eludes us. And and we just so so for the other parent, if you've experienced domestic violence, absolutely that has to come out.
0: Yes. And I think, you know, that. You need to just have an understanding that you know, and I've touched on this before, that the divorce is not going to make people act their best. So, how is your partner like at their worst? Um, And you need to anticipate that um, because you know, divorce is incredibly stressful. It is the only process that. Um, touches on custody of your children, your finances, your home, your you know freedom to move around, your assets, you know your debts. Every, everything in your life gets thrown up in the air and then gets resorted. And this is incredibly stressful for people. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be, but we need to really be mindful of those who will not handle it well. People are on all, you know, ranges of the spectrum on mental health and ability to um, handle this type of situation. And we just need to all be on high alert and with dealing with all of the information available to us to make appropriate decisions.
1: How do you think the other spouse, the the victim of or the observer of, Domestic violence. Um, when they know they have to file for a divorce, any tips on how they should deal with their other spouse? How they should present themselves to their other spouse?
0: To that, yeah, that is really a case by case basis. Um, we have some experts on domestic violence who can help. I always tell people. Um, if they do not feel safe, they should not be the person to be delivering directly that information. Um, and so if they feel like they tell the other person they're asking for a divorce or they hand them that paperwork or they are that messenger that they're going to be retaliated against, they should never be the person that is doing that. Their safety is paramount. Um we unfortunately had a situation here, and I don't know how it is in other states, but there was a service where when I would go file a divorce, it's it's public record. Anybody can go on and see what divorces were filed on a particular day. Right. And there was um, a local attorney or more, maybe more than one who would search those records and would send a correspondence to the opposing party because it was public record saying hey, a divorce has been filed against you and I would love to represent you in this divorce and blah, blah, blah. Well, in many circumstances, the other spouse had not been notified that a divorce had been filed. Particularly in domestic violence cases, um, we would file the action, get it ready for service, and we would be picking an appropriate moment for the other person to be served so that our client was safe. And this attorney was going in and sending these letters. And in one circumstance, I had a client. um, We were following this procedure for her. She goes home and um, her spouse was sitting at the kitchen table with a gun, um, holding the letter from the other attorney, Um, you know, and that's how he found out about the divorce. And my client was ambushed with a weapon. And so, you know whoever's listening to this, that's of course incredibly inappropriate and could have gotten my client killed. Um, and if this is a practice that anybody's involved in, in any jurisdiction, I caution you to stop that for these reasons. No case is worth someone's life. Um, and that is just an incredibly dangerous practice to engage in, but if anybody feels that that could be them, that could be their situation, their safety is is absolutely paramount. There are domestic violence shelters, there are resources um, to help them get out of the situation and, and preserve their safety and the safety of their children.
1: And just because this is really a serious situation does not mean you go to a shark attorney. Even more important, you go to an a, a, an attorney committed to amicable. It doesn't mean they're not good. It doesn't mean they don't know how to argue your case. Right, Tracy? It just exactly, means yeah. they're not going to exacerbate the problem.
0: <laughs> correct? That's absolutely correct. Um, you know, we deal with very complicated issues, as I've said, and perhaps that can help get you divorced better and more efficiently without adding fuel to the fire that actually can cause physical danger for everybody involved. Um, So if calmer heads can prevail, get a good result for everybody and not cause a stressful flare up, you know, I reflect back on that case I was just talking about where the spouse was sitting at the table with the gun and Had he been notified in a different manner, the manner that we intended, perhaps the entire case would have had a different tone to it. And perhaps if he hadn't, you know, behaved that way, things would have, you know, turned out differently and for both parties. But it ended up being incredibly litigious And really bad on both sides um, because of of this, really the way the message was delivered. Um, And absolutely, you know, there's no way to know how he would have reacted in a different situation. But I do know how him being surprised by a letter in the mail, um, you know, certainly didn't help anything. Um, And that uh, I just want to touch on my fourth point, um, and that is to make sure that you are providing um, anybody helping you updates um, if the situation changes. I have had many situations. I had two last year where we were starting an amicable process. And when the other party found out, just like in this previous case, but this was an amicable process, nothing was filed in the court. The opposing party um, reacted badly. And so in one situation, law enforcement had to get involved in another situation. The um, opposing party was, you know, threatening suicide with a weapon and things of that nature. I didn't know about either situation until at least a month after it happened. And so um, those are I wish I had had the information in real time to make sure my client is safe and to Help advise them properly on next steps, but then also, you know, to make sure they're not coming to my office next, you know, so do make sure that if a stressful event flares up, that after you are safe, that you communicate to your legal professional, whoever's primarily helping you, I want you to be advised of this incident. This is what happens so that they can make choices. About the safety of their office and their staff and themselves, because they may choose to not walk out into the parking lot by themselves that night. They may choose to not let your spouse in the office under the guise of signing some sort of paperwork or dropping something off, which is very routine. They may exclude that person. Um, and this can actually save lives. I think in most situations, this is what is happening when there's violence upon family law professionals. It is the divorce itself becomes real for the other person. They didn't want the divorce. They are very upset by it. Perhaps they're losing something important to them through the divorce process, whether that's custody of a child or a family heirloom or their home. Um, And so that triggers them during the process and they may not have a history before to break and to lash out in a violent, physically violent manner. And so when this happens, rarely is your attorney standing beside you to witness this. Um, And so please make sure that they know when these events happen, as soon as you are safe from the event. Um, Because, I mean, in in many of these situations that we've seen, not just in Georgia, but across the United States, um, lives could have been saved um, if communication had occurred that this person has you know had a break a mental break and you know they definitely wouldn't have let them in the office um you know so there's um, definitely an opportunity there to do better moving forward on both the side of the clients and the legal professionals to try to keep everybody safe that was a lot tracy
1: <laughs> sorry no 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 that was a lot of great information but that's this is such a big topic that I really never thought about presenting at all when you called me it did pique my interest and now that we've actually spent time talking about it, I can really see how important it is for communication you know sometimes, uh people uh mediators and uh, other people maybe, but especially mediators may be a little reluctant to go deep on asking questions and I, as a document preparation company i mean my job is to file right I'm in it whether yeah. i'm really whether I'm licensed to give legal information and legal advice or not, and I say it all the time, and it's on all my paperwork I'm in it mm-hmm. And so my life is like your life. That's why I've always locked my doors. Not that they can't be waiting outside or at the garage, you know, uh, like they can for anybody, you know. And it's just tough all the way around. Mm -hmm. What I used to say, and this is, I will conclude now. What I used to say is cherish those people professionally who are in this business. Because it ain't easy. You are jumping into people's lives where it's shocking sometimes, but it doesn't matter. You know, you deal with it um, and you want to help. So you value these people, but value them to the point where you also look out for their safety too. If you want them to look out for you, yeah, you have to look out for them. And I don't think people getting divorced even think about that, Tracy.
0: I don't think that they do. And I think that yeah. is actually, I would love to steal that quote. They're looking out for you. You look out for them. I've always approached it as a team approach with my clients. Mm-hmm. And I think we always approach it as they are the ones who are going through the stressful time. We're the level-headed ones. We're there to guide them. And that that's how it should be. That's why they've hired us is to is to guide. But if you're a client facing divorce, do make sure you're looking out for your professional as well. I mean, they've chosen a very difficult profession where they essentially take on the, you know, the burdens of their clients and try to make the best result for them possible. And so many of these professionals have chosen family law because they have a big heart and they want to help people. That's what I hear time and time again. I I got into this profession because I really wanted to help people. Um, And so help them back. You know, if you have any information that can make them more safe and more secure and their staff reach out with that information, you know, they're helping you and you just help them, you know, write back and perhaps opening up this dialogue and making clients aware that this is a risk because um, they always are surprised, you know, to hear this, making more and more people aware will hopefully open up that communication and keep um, more people safe on both sides.
1: Absolutely, and please know that if you, the people going through divorce, the listeners, are losing sleep at night because you have so much on your shoulders, on your mind, we lose sleep too. Yep. We take our cases oh, home yeah. with us, <laughs> and if if there's something stressful going on, I thought I was the only one that woke up in the middle of the night. But the more I talk to uh, people, attorneys, therapists, other mediators, no, we nobody's the- sleeping, Judith. <laughs> That's right. You become our temporary kids. And when you have kids, you don't sleep. Okay. Tracy, thank you so much for approaching me uh, with this topic. Nobody else has. It's so very important. And especially since you have the Amicable Divorce Network and your goal and mission going forward is to really change the trajectory of divorce for people. And again, your brilliant statement at the beginning of this episode everybody's issues are kind of the same and very important it's the professionals in your life that need to keep it amicable for you right excellent tracy how do people get in touch with you
0: uh they can email me directly t-r-a-c-y at Divorcenetwork.com, or they can go to our website amicabledivorcenetwork.com Look up our professionals, look at our information, our literature. Judith has given us some great information along the way and just get some resources um, for yourself on how to divorce better and how to end up on the other side of divorce in the best position possible. That's what all of our professionals are dedicated to helping people do. And I thank Judith for being such an advocate for us and for being a part of the network.
1: I love being part of the network. Thank you for doing this, Tracy. I feel great with all of the colleagues you have involved across the country. Yeah. And I thank all of you for listening. If you would like to provide a topic for me, I'm always open to listening. I have speaker pipe on my website, The Amicable Divorce Network. I'm sorry, The Amicable Divorce Expert. Almost stole your organization. the Theamicabledivorceexpert.com. The emails will, emails will come right to me and I'm open to all topics. And as always, have an amicable day.
0: That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.